Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, John Fowling, and I'm Hazel Thurston. On our show today, we are going to do our Oscars sweepstake. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Nicely on cue. Thank you. We have also got our film buff or film bluff quiz. So let's get going. Film buffy or film bluffy? Yes. Buffy or bluffy? <laughs> Speaking of Buffy, you've you've been watching Buffy have you recently? <laughs> that was a terrible link. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> you buff up well. It, it is <laughs> it is winter. You know. <laughs> By this, do I take it to mean you've been rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I have, yes. Ah, okay. um, and it turns out I missed a load of episodes when I was growing up because there's quite a few that I don't recognise. Ah, which yeah. ones did you miss? Um, most of them. Oh, fair yeah. enough. Is did it... you have you not seen them or do you just not remember them? Because I was yeah. re-watching Star Trek The Next Generation and I would get like 45 minutes into an episode before I remembered anything about it or that I'd seen it before. I remember most of Buffy pretty well because I was a bit of an obsessive about that show. Before Game of Thrones, before Watchmen, before Lost, Buffy was my favourite of the shows on TV. Mm-hmm. I, I must have watched everything at least three times. Yeah. It is interesting watching it now as like someone in my thirties, as opposed to um, when it first came out, when I must have been a teenager. Oh. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's over twenty-two years old now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. ninety-seven to two thousand and four. Yeah. But it was quite ahead of its time because can you remember the first episode, the first mm-hmm. opening few minutes, where it opens on a deserted high school and the camera sees a young couple who have broken in, um, and it's this. I'm going to say wholesome looking female. <laughs> um, and she's like, um, she f- appears a bit worried. You know, are people get catches. Are we alone? Are you sure? Uh, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. We'll be okay. Um, and then that totally turns it on its head and turns out, and there's a quick sweep of the camera. And it turns out she's the vampire and he is dinner. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Cold opening mm-hmm. to the series. Yeah. And. Yeah, it only got better from there. Season three was my favourite. Mm. Loved season three. That's where I am at the moment. It did yeah. other things at the start as well, didn't it? Like someone who appears to be a major character who turns out not yes, to be. Yes, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah, he's part of that core friendship group with Xander and Willow and uh, used very much to show that there are stakes. Oh, Quite literally. Hey. Um, thank you. I think it's been a couple of years since I rewatched it, but there are probably bits that have a bit of increased relevance now mm-hmm. with the gun atmosphere in the US because even at the time uh, there was an episode in season 3 called Earshot they had held that back didn't they they did once? because Jonathan who later goes on to great heights in season yeah. 4 and then continues through the rest of the show turning up um he has had enough of being bullied in high school and it, it turns out not to be a supernatural plot mm-hmm. that week he's just a, a very troubled young guy who's brought a gun to school and through supernatural means Buffy is able to stop him Mm -hmm. but I think it was due to air right around the time of Columbine Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. these days the amount of attacks that happen at the bronze in a nightclub must surely evoke mass Mm -hmm. shootings that have happened in nightclubs now but you take out that vampire and you put a gunman in and it's got a whole new relevance that even in the 90s it wouldn't have had. Yeah. So, Hazel, are you watching the, the remastered versions, the new versions that yeah, just that, brought out? Yeah, that's on Amazon Prime. So, um, obviously, Joss Whedon, the original creator, and he wanted it to be filmed in 4.3. Um, and it is now being uh, remastered for widescreen um, without his permission. I think it was more that when it was made, TV was only 4.3. Mm. And it was only in the later series that there was a chance of doing widescreen TV as well. That's so, right, yeah. So it's yeah. Sort of, though they shot it on widescreen cameras, yeah. they um, they were expecting there to be nothing interesting on the sides of the screen. Mm. They were just going to mask them off. There's I think a few interesting things on the sides yeah. of the screen, namely <laughs> camera equipment. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, if you look for problems like that, you will always find them. I actually find it more amusing to spot when um, Sarah Michelle Gellar is fighting and when it's a stunt double. Oh, you can always it's tell. Really Kelly, obvious. And you can also tell when they swap a stunt double yeah. as they go into this third or fourth season. There's just a total difference in the way yeah. she stands. They've also um, adapted the lighting a little bit, which is bit tricky when you've got characters who can't cope with light <laughs> very easily they so, forgot to put the day for night filter on haven't they on some of them yeah so some seasons angels actually lit up <laughs> but as i say i i haven't been looking for those things and they haven't jumped out at me so i don't know where all the <laughs> Again, vampire joke. yeah <laughs> i'm not quite a buffy virgin but i think i've only maybe seen 10 episodes oh, really? i've never really sat and watched it all the way through I don't know, as, a, as a time passed where I could come to it fresh and enjoy it, is it dated for somebody who hasn't seen it? No, no. I, I, some of the themes are coming out stronger. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it hasn't happened yet, but there, I, I remember a scene with the Watchers in a council where they're trying to take away Buffy's powers. Yes. Oh, yeah. That yeah, happens yeah. on a Slayer's 18th birthday. That's right. And really? It's like how women are trying to negotiate power with a world that wants to take it away from them. And that was quite a strong central theme to the to the series, and, and yeah, Buffy's reaction to that is fantastic. Yeah. It's really, really good. It's great. Um, it's like all of a sudden, all the people that she's been relying on turn against her. Is how it feels. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. And it's kind of arguing women can be the architects of their own destiny, even though there's plenty of people telling them that they mm-hmm. can't be. Some episodes are a little bit cringeworthy, I have to say. Xander, um, <laughs> he's a little bit try too hard sometimes and sometimes he can be telling Buffy off for some of her choices um forgetting that he's probably she's probably saved his life in Mm -hmm. the episode and she just he just kind of tells her off for making various life choices which isn't doesn't really sit well uh, is under the guy that's touring around provincial towns charging 20 quid to watch an episode with him Nick Brendan Mm -hmm. um strangely the episode is the musical episode which Xander doesn't feature in all that much but mm-hmm. um, he's not a great singer. Either. Yeah, but he never had the problem with doubles because he's got an identical twin. They do bring the twin in in a season five episode, mm-hmm. which is really yeah. good fun. But when we rewatched it a couple of years ago, Amy had never seen any of it, and she really enjoyed it, never having seen it mm-hmm. before, even nearly twenty years on. I've got a friend called Katie who rewatches Buffy every year. In its wow. entirety. Wow. She watches Buffy right, a, a lot, lot <laughs> which is really impressive. Hi, Katie, if you're listening, come talk about Buffy. Um, and you know, she still never gets tired of it. So yeah. there are different levels of fandom. But I think if you haven't seen it before, I'd be tempted to jump in on season two and then go back to season one. Mm. Two, yeah. th- two and three, I think, are at its absolute peak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still really like one. I really like four. The introduction of a new character at the start of season five is the start of... <laughs> You're talking still, Dawn, aren't you? I am talking Dawn. I still can't get on with Dawn yeah. at all. It's definitely worth a watch just for the central performance of Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's such a beautifully layered character. She's not just a strong female character because she's kind of too flawed for that. She she recognises her own faults. She embraces her vulnerability um, and she does try her best despite of that mm-hmm. and it's 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 a beautiful beautiful character inside and out and definitely worth a watch is she in it all the way through like mm-hmm. she's the lead because yeah. i've been re-watching or partly re-watching bits of the x-files and that's a series that drops mm. massively in quality when the leads lose interest yeah yeah buffy never had that issue tony head disappears a little bit towards the end of the run mm-hmm. who plays giles because he'd been spending so much time over in america filming it he was still based over here by season six season seven giles goes down almost to a part-time recurring character because tony had spending more time one yeah seasons yeah but by and large the core cast are there throughout they move people over to angel the spin-off occasion angel most obviously but cordelia is in buffy for three seasons and then moves over to angel as well Spike later yeah, on. Oh, the, Spike, I love Spike. Yeah. The recurring cast that you see in the opening credits does change year on year, but Buffy herself is in, if not every episode, virtually everyone. 
Did it stay quite light? Or again, I'm coming to the X Files as a, a series that was all around the same time yeah. that I really liked. Angel at one point goes too dark. Buffy yeah. goes a bit dark. Yeah. When well, she... I'm not we... saying necessarily dark, but it's kind of bogged down in mythology and um, not not no, so much. Not There's, really. Um, it changes from its original premise of high school is hell because mm-hmm. the characters are growing up. So they move it to college and then they kind of go beyond that. And it changes the focus a little bit. We did hit a roadblock in our rewatch. Uh, we got towards the end of season six and things were getting pretty dark there. And rather than, oh, should we put a Buffy on? It was like, should we finish this series of Buffy? And, uh, we, yeah. and we haven't yet. It's been three years. It is like a lot of kind of light relief. It's like, oh, should we put an episode of Buffy in before we go to bed? Or, or if we've just watched a, you know, a dark film, it's like, mm. oh, let's, you know, escape a little bit with Buffy. But um, that is going to change as the season goes. Am, yeah. I, am I right that season six was possibly going to be the last season and then it switches a bit so, works? Because yeah. I, I know the ending of season six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's the point that we're at at the moment. And it is very dark. And it's hard to summon up that. Should we be depressed for 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we just haven't got onto there. And we were similar watching Angel because of the crossover episodes. And that has yeah. also reached the point where it gets really dark. Yes. Mm. And it's like, should we just watch Firefly? No, I've never seen Angel. Um, so I intend to do that after. Um, but the question is, do you watch similar watch? As in, do you try and watch Angel at the same time as it started within Buffy? There are websites that give you the best way to watch so that everything links up. So sometimes you can watch three or four Buffies in a row, but then there's a one where they cross over. Mm -hmm. And then you can watch two angels, and then it's one and one and one and one. So they don't quite link up week on week. Oh, there might have been odd schedules when they were... Yeah, yeah. but there is a web... I think it's called Lorem Ipsum or something like that, which is a Buffy Angel rewatch, almost like a schedule. And we followed that, and it did work very well. Once they go over onto different networks on TV, the crossovers become much rarer because you can't have one character turn up on both mm. and it becomes less essential. But for the first couple of seasons of Angel, I would recommend similar watching. As you get towards the end and Buffy starts to tread down that darker path, there were times when I enjoyed Angel a lot more. And Angel with characters like Lorne and Fred was able to keep it light in a way that Buffy was struggling to find its way out of the dark. You can understand why the characters were in a dark yeah. place, but the light-hearted quippy show of the high school years yeah it is not by the end doesn't just Whedon said he regrets that a little bit subsequently in interviews that it went too dark i may have imagined that season six not being a mistake but going too far down that route and something the most they're, they're critically corrected. panned of the series mm-hmm. season six and there's reasons for that and you can see what they were trying to do with it they were developing a new aspect to buffy's character um dealing with past trauma or being unable to deal with it but there are ways that it can have non-uplifting episodes that are still absolutely excellent and don't get bogged down in it so much. I'm yeah. thinking of the body in season five, yeah. which is devastating and is the one where no background music is used. There's no score in it. Mm-hmm. It's just the characters and the dialogue and the silence. And it's so sad, but so good. There are other ones where it's like, oh, well, this is a bit... Wallowing misery. A little bit. (laughs) I wonder whether any downturn in ratings it had might have been due to that. Mm -hmm. I think Angel certainly suffered from that once it became less about Angel as a private investigator dealing with crimes and helping the helpless. Mm -hmm. It started to bring in mythology and dealt with it well, but when it did have the lighthearted episode at the end of its run, there's an episode where Angel gets turned into a puppet. Oh, I've seen this. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's a great episode. But it is between a quite serious one and an incredibly dark, sad one. Buffy doesn't have that to the same extent, but there's a reason why one, two, and three are generally considered the best. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's because they're balancing humour with sort of a real sense of danger at the same time, and that, I think, makes yeah. a great series. To be a little bit more grounded the first three seasons. Um, like I'm thinking of uh, sort of mid-season two, a very real fear for a girl is to lose your virginity for the first time hopefully to someone you're in love with uh, maybe not um, and then have that person break up with you immediately afterwards Mm. Uh, and Joss Whedon took that 
concept and, and you know gave it to Buffy and Angel. So whereas he doesn't break up with her, he becomes a monster oh, because yeah. of it. It's crushing. He is yeah. evil. He is and awful. I didn't notice on the first watch, but when you rewatch it, he is awful. Yeah, he's just really playing with her. Obviously, he does some really. I don't want to spoil it for John. Um, but some catastrophic things, but it was all linked into this very real situation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that the first three seasons are a little bit more grounded in reality, and then it goes off a little bit to something you can relate to less. Particularly uh, in this sort of climate, I think it's a show really worth revisiting or watching for the first time. So I think can. John's next shameful gab should be Ooh. watching the entirety of the, Buffy. all of Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could probably put together a list of essential episodes for you. Yeah. No, don't make it easy for oh. me. <laughs> I've seen the musical episode. I've seen the silent episode. I think I've seen the gimmicky ones that people were talking about at the mm-hmm. time. So I may not have got like a proper sense of what the series as a whole is like. Give season two a go. Yeah. I will do that. Oh, I may start with season one. I may go, go from the start. Yeah, that's only 13 episodes, I think. Mm. Yes, it's a half season. But once you start from season one, it does make you want to watch the whole thing so mm-hmm. give yourself time and plenty of blood to keep you fresh <laughs> yes I just don't go if i got if i can't go out in the daylight yeah. if i actually become a vampire due to watching the show for too long yeah just be careful not to turn to dust okay <laughs> So we were going to do Buffer Bluff first. We got sidetracked oh, yeah. by Buffy, um, yeah. which is which is good. I enjoy that. Um, but yes, let's now do our Buff or Bluff quiz. So for anyone who's not listened to this before, um, we have all come to the podcast with three film facts, but one of them has been made up, and we have to try and work out which is the bluff. Who would like to go first? I have a brief for this episode: supervillains. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sometimes their origin story is great. Sometimes, you know, it's trauma. It's horrible things have twisted them into the supervillain they've become. Sometimes something quite pathetic drives somebody into supervillainy. So what, what's your origin story, John? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too dark and depressing for that. <laughs> so I have three things that have driven people to become supervillains. Two of which are real, one of which is made up. Has somebody been driven to be a supervillain by penis envy? (laughs) Has somebody been driven to be a supervillain due to being colourblind? Or has somebody been driven to be a supervillain because of Robbie Williams? Robin Williams or Robbie? Robbie Williams. Williams. You may ask ask follow-up questions. Uh, Which comic book company does the Robbie Williams one come from? Uh, It wasn't one of the main comic book companies. It was a strip in, like, I don't remember the name. I want to say just 17, but Jackie, that kind of thing. Okay. Was it um, a song that he did or just just him? So essentially it's about Robbie Williams leaving Take That. And there's a teenage girl who is obsessed with Robbie Williams. Uh And when he leaves Take That, she goes insane and kidnaps like his family and his friends to force him to go back into Take That. There was a lot of hysteria at the time. But do we believe they would publish a story that showed the girl kidnapping Robbie Williams' family? Yeah, so like his friends and family and try and force him to go back into... In a teen magazine, like just... It was just the 90s. It was the 90s. I was, yeah. uh, I was 10 when this happened. And oh, yeah. I remember the news broke in the primary school classroom and there were floods of tears. Um, I could see one of my classmates going to such lengths. I really could. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but mm-hmm. could you see them <laughs> writing and publishing a story suggesting that this was a good something someone might copy? Um, for example. I did. What, you did? <laughs> you kidnapped one of the Robbie Williams family. This whole thing is about me. <laughs> no. Um... Speaking of such lengths, penis envy. <laughs> yeah, so penis envy is a character called Codpiece. <laughs> okay. Um, so wow. he, he, he overhears two people oh, <laughs> two people talking about, he's quite a short character, and talking about his lack of height, and he misinterprets it as him talking about oh his God. lack of girth. <laughs> so he, designed, he creates a, a Codpiece that fires lasers from it, that he uses to, to, to battle people when as a result. When did this come out? Uh, again, this was the 90s. <laughs> Looking at his phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a pattern emerging here. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, came out when? Uh, I think it is the 90s. I'm not 90s. 100% on that. Oh, sure. But uh, he, he's he's defeated when his codpiece is dissolved. How does it get dissolved? Oddly enough, um, dissolved by DC Comics' first transsexual superhero. Who was? It was called, I think, called Coagula or something like that. 
who used their powers to melt the codpiece in a in kind of a thing about patriarchy and not necessarily having to conform to gender norms. Okay. Now, this this sounds oh. ridiculous, but in the 90s, didn't a lot of comics try and do deliberately ridiculous things because dark and edgy was yeah. the thing and Deadpool had suddenly appeared and been a huge mm. success and everyone got really sweary and sexual in comics. So, again, it seems silly, but mm-hmm. could happen. What was the third one? The third one is colorblindness as a cause of supervillainy. This one I think I might have read about. So this is a character called the Rainbow Rider who is colorblind and wants to be an artist despite being colorblind. Right. His father, who is a scientist, creates a thing that allows him to shoot rainbows of colour and the Rainbow Rider uses this to destroy art galleries because if he can't appreciate art, no one can. This <laughs> shit. <laughs> when was this? Was this 90s? This was the 90s. See, I would have believed that in the 40s, <laughs> maybe, but at least um, the Rainbow Rider didn't take his lack of appreciation for his art into becoming the Chancellor of Germany. No. <laughs> That's the sequel. Rainbow. <laughs> what are we thinking? Take that. Well, I think, I John, I think John's watched the uh, Christmas special with Robbie Williams with his relatives uh, over Christmas is a few that weeks a real, ago. Is that and... a real thing? But it's just so implausible that that starts to become true after a while. <laughs> this is how I feel about Codpiece. <laughs> um, I mean, that does sound like John made it up in two seconds. I don't know. He had the background detail. I can't see his face yeah. from here. Robbie Williams. I'm going to go rainbow. Uh, rainbow. Colour blindness. Uh, I'm going to go penis envy. Penis envy. Uh, Codpiece is a real supervillain, <laughs> as is the Rainbow Rider. Oh. Uh, there is, as far as I am aware, no comic supervillain as a result of Robbie Williams leaving Take That. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just as well. <laughs> but there should be. <laughs> okay, I was reading a list of the 45 worst TV shows. So I've chosen two real ones from that list and a third one that's made up. The first one is My Mother the Car, which is a 1965 comedy series where a family man and attorney purchases a vintage car, which unbeknownst to him is actually his reincarnated, recently deceased mother. The mother talks to him through the car radio. The second one is Cop Rock, a crime procedural that's also a musical, where characters often burst into song. It included a song from a drug-addicted mother about selling her baby for $200. Could you sing that for us? Um, <laughs> If you've got 200 bucks, I've got a baby. <laughs> 200 bucks for a baby. I need to buy some crack. Yeah. <laughs> Won't be seeing that baby. Won't be getting it back. <laughs> uh, the third one is The Conversion of Emily, which is a 1967 sitcom where a young single mother is constantly beset by devout Christians telling her the error of her ways. It ran for three weeks on NBC amongst a storm of bad press but the full run of episodes they made did show up on a few religious channels over the next 10 years. So this was a pro-religious yes. show. Yes. A yeah. single mother? Pauling. They'd never allow it. I, I know one of them is real. Do you want to say the one that I know is real? You can oh. say yeah. the one you think is real. Yeah, the one that I, I'm, I 100% positive is my brother, the car, because I've seen stuff about that. And it was parodied on The Simpsons. I was going to say, I'm sure I recognise... A similar type. Where Grandpa goes into a love-testing machine. Yes. The lovematic Grandpa. Yeah, and that, that's a spoof of My Mother the Car, dancing okay. the music being similar and everything. Yeah. The other two I've never heard of. Cop Rock rings a bell. I remember there being some musical cop thing, and the guy behind it, where PD Blue was behind it. But Bo- Stephen, Stephen Boschko. Boschko. I think was involved in it. Yeah. What's the time period for that? The 90s. 90s. <laughs> it's always 60s, the 90s, if in doubt. Uh, the other two were 60s. Yeah. Like Cop mm. Rock, I don't know about it. It's feels, to me, it feels later. It feels yeah. like late mm. 70s, because early 80s. When you made it up, you thought it would be set in the 50s. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think you made Cop Rock. <laughs> yeah, I think there is... I, think, I don't know. There, there is some TV show where they break into music. So I watched Bugsy Below this morning. That's a fucking weird film, isn't it? Speaking of kids bursting into music for no reason. Why are they all gangsters? I don't Where know. Where are the grown-ups? <laughs> I think you may be reading too much into this. <laughs> all the, the women go-go dancers and everything. I think this is a bit, ooh, I don't know, not in the 21st century. Anyhow. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Just put your splurge gun away, John. <laughs> 
And supposedly the third one was a reaction to, because um, it was late 60s, they were starting to get more permissive stuff. Mm-hmm. And advertisers were complaining about that sort of thing. So the network were trying to come up with something that would yeah. be more acceptable to the more straight-laced yeah. people. So, and they just got it completely mm, wrong. Was the bad press because they misjudged it or because the idea of a single woman on television was still appalling? No, no, it wasn't time. because of that. It was just because it was terrible. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. What was it called again, sorry? Which one? The the last one, the single mother. That is the conversion of Emily. I'm... Oh, I know that name. But I might be thinking of the shit exorcism ripoff called something Emily Rose. The exorcism of the, Emily the Rose. The exorcism of Emily Rose, and I might be getting that mixed up in my head as a similar sounding title. I'm going to go with that as the bluff because I know my brother, the car exists. Okay. And I remember the musical cop show. Cop rock. Okay. I will also go cop rock. Okay. Uh, John is correct. The one I made up is The Conversion of Emily. (laughs) So was cop rock Stephen Botchko? That does ring a bell. I Mm -hmm. think I remember hearing something about it at the time. But uh, yeah, I, it just sounds ludicrous, doesn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> and I don't think it lasts very long. Okay. My buff or bluff is about the masterpiece currently in cinemas, Cats. Oh. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Number one. Judy Dench was slated to appear in a West End stage production of Cats in 1981, but had to drop out after tearing her Achilles tendon during rehearsals. She was replaced by Elaine Page in the role of Grisabella. Number two, Miley Cyrus was considered for the 2019 film in the role that was eventually played by Taylor Swift. She turned it down because she's allergic to cat hair and couldn't understand that the costumes would be digitally applied in post-production. <laughs> Number three, one theatre-goer sued the Broadway production in 1997 after an actor left the stage, tried to get her to dance with him and then allegedly leapt onto her seat and gyrated his pelvis in her face. She sought $6 million in damages. Wow. That was my last performance in the show, <laughs> that was unfortunate. Yeah. Now, that is something mm, that they was do. Judy in Dench. The, yeah. yeah. Can I just say, we record these episodes a few weeks before they go out, and you said Cats is currently in cinemas. I'm, I think it's safe to say by the time <laughs> the episode has gone out, Cats will no longer be troubling Ver- a cinema. Version 5 or version yeah. 6 of Cats <laughs> will be in cinemas. They're just going to keep replacing it. New, um, improved Cats. Yeah. Uh, I know that. Having seen the stage show myself, they do go out into the audience and they do climb on audience members' seats. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like that sort of participatory theatre, then you are unnerved even before the cats get onto the stage because you think, oh, don't come over here, don't Mm. come over here, don't come over here. Do you have to sit on your hands and if you touch the cat, you get ejected by a large burly bouncer? (laughs) None of the cats came near me, so I can't (laughs) comment. You don't expect that to happen to you if you're going to a Broadway theatre mm, uh, no. to see a Lloyd Webber show. Mm. So I, I can imagine somebody being upset enough to mm. sue. I think Judy Dench was possibly going to be involved in it at some point she, many, I think many she years was. ago. Um, that story sounds very familiar to me. Yeah, That's the one I'm going to pick as false. Right, And Good. that's because Elaine Page sung on the original album that they put out before the musical came out. And then was in the stage production. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that Judy Dench is a bluff. Because she's in the movie, but I don't believe she was planned to be mm-hmm. in the stage show. Yeah. I also don't know if she can sing. Does anyone know if she can sing? According to lots of reviews, and I haven't yet taken one for the team and gone to see the film, so I can't be 100% sure. I don't think it matters if you can sing or not in the film, because <laughs> half of the cast can't <laughs> by the sounds of the reviews. Right. Well, it does matter on the West End stage. Yeah. Um, is Tom Hopper deaf? Hooper. Because he seems to like to cast his musicals with people that can't sing. What else has he done? Les Mis. Les Mis. Russell Crowe in Les Mis is one of the most painful things I've ever heard. I quite like the film version of Les Mis. Even the, even the Russell Crowe, like a honking, like a... It's not, it's <laughs> not the best I've heard, but no. I can... I'm okay with it. Hazel, was it the Broadway production or the London production? Judy Dench? Yeah. Um, Broadway. Uh, sorry, West End. My, mm. my apologies. So it may have been that Elaine Page was doing it in Broadway. Judy Dench was going to do the London no, one and the parachute with Elaine Page. I'm pretty in. sure I remember Elaine Page opening the show. Well, she did. Be because wrong. I did, Judy I did Dench see had it in the 80s. Cracked ankle. But she also sang on the album. 
And I don't remember Judy Dench ever being known as a singer. Classically trained RSC type actress. Mm-hmm. Do you back then? Did you have to be able to sing and dance and act? No, no, because it's a very mm. physical show as well. There's lots of choreography and dancing and movement in it. Which, uh, if you get injured, it's understandable that you wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Can mm. I can I just say that we're spending a lot of time discussing this when the other one is Miley Cyrus didn't know that <laughs> yeah. Miley Cyrus actually thought she's going to be dressed in a dead cat and have to sneeze her way through. Because that's clearly shite. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that's my pick. I think that's got to be my pick as well. I'm sticking with Judy Dench. Okay. John and Daniel are correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Judy Dench did, uh, was slated to appear in 1981, but did tear her Achilles, so could do it. Um, and yes, a uh, woman who claimed that the gyrating was too in your face um, sued the production for $6 million. Did she win? <laughs> she shouldn't have. <laughs> Dan. On the last episode, we had a discussion about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, and I mentioned having read the Visual Dictionary book, giving all sorts of useless background trivia. Two of these bits of useless background trivia are now Star Wars canon, one I have made up. Number one, X-Wing pilot Snap Wexley got his name because he likes to snap his fingers along to jizz music. Which is a real thing. Yeah, Which is yeah. a real thing. It's, that is the genre that the Cantina Band play. Um, number two. Droids... There's no point even continuing. <laughs> Snapping to jizz music. It's very catchy. You've been to that cantina. I have, yes. Yeah. They only know one thog. Uh, number two. Droid Smith Babu Frick is 85 years old. And number three. After stowing away on the Millennium Falcon in The Last Jedi, Porgs have now spread across the galaxy. Oh, false. Oh, <laughs> oh this is one of your bluffs in like a year ago, where it's like, what are Porgs, um, like, do they only stay on that planet? And it turned out they did. They were a well, there was a Porg on the Millennium Falcon at the end of um, Last Jedi. They nested. They did in the Falcon. And the Falcon was hyperspace snapping, chopping little pogs off wherever it went. Yeah, but this sounds like something that Dan wants to happen rather than actually <laughs> yeah, happens. <it> Pog <laughs> spin off. It's going to mm-hmm. happen. They brought them back for a reason. They're like tribbles, they multiply. <laughs> Dan tried to catch me out last time with Jizz. And having been caught out by Dan's yeah, Jizz before, I reckon that this is a, uh, a double bluff and he's put another Jizz fact in. I was it's the one with fact. the Jizz fact. <laughs> Oh, but so did you? It was your just originally, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't don't ask Dan. how she came by it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why you thought a turkey based to it that day. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, looked so traumatised. <laughs> it's like the corner's shaking. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Babu Frick being 85, I think he looks much older. Who is Babu Frick? Little, the, the droid smith. Little, no, the little one who repaired 3PO and then turned up at the end and went, ha ha! Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's 85. He, yeah, no, he's looking like day over 60. <laughs> it's got to be Snap Wexley. Snap Wexley's jazz music. Pogs. Snap. Hazel is incorrect. Oh. <laughs> Porgs have now canonically spread across the galaxy. <laughs> uh, Snap Wexley didn't get his name because of the jizz music. Mm-hmm. Um, he got his name Snap because he likes to snap his fingers when he's preoccupied. Uh. Canon. I also learned that uh, Lando's full name is Landonis Balthazar Calrissian. <laughs> Just in case you needed to know that. Landonis. I don't think it's going to come up. Is yeah. it Landonis one of those dodgy supermarket things you get? And that's Landis, isn't it? <laughs> um, so yeah, Snap Wexley has a very boring backstory to the name Snap And Babu Frick is 85 mm. Yeah, it's looking good for it Yeah My baby Yoda is only 50 mm. Species that age differently, Peter Why did you make that sound like a moral lesson in some way? And that, Your Honour, is the case for the defence <laughs> <laughs> The Oscars are just around the corner. The nominations are out. So at this time of year, I like to add a competitive element and do a sweepstake. 
It's a very, very needlessly complicated system. We all pick a best picture nominee. That becomes our film for the evening and it accumulates points throughout. So if you have, for example, 1917 as your best picture, if that wins other awards, say best director or best editing, um, you would pick up a certain amount of points. And now is the time we're going to choose our best picture. You don't have a selection of Kinder Eggs this year. No, I've got two hats. In one hat is our names. And there's a few more in there because there are nine Best Picture nominees and there are currently five of us. So there's a few more in there. And I have a hat full of the Best Pictures. So what we're going to do is going to pass the hats round and we're going to choose a name and a film. Okay. I, I understand. <laughs> so the names are just our names? Yes. So why don't we each just pick because, a name out? Because, because that would make those. it simple. <laughs> okay. We'd have a superfluous hat then. And I, I don't want to live in that world. Yeah. Plus, it's really cool to like go in the hat and pick it out. Like, Why would I cut that in half? Yeah. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> One of the hats did not leave my head for the entire five days of the 2017 Glastonbury Festival and hasn't been mm. washed since. So enjoy. Well, we all get to experience that. Enjoy delving <laughs> your hands into that one. Is it the glowing green one? It's that, it's that one, yes. So Dan, can I ask you to put your hand into the hat of names, please, and pull one out? I'm doing that action now. Ian Mayer. I hope you can hear me from the void. Are you there, Ian? Can you pick a film for Ian, please? The film I have picked for Ian is Jojo Rabbit. Yes, Ooh. get in. Okay. I desperately didn't want to have that one on my team. Mm. Were you not a fan? I, I didn't see it, um, but I can tell you without doubt that it's the worst film ever made. He's <sighs> got Taika Waititi. such an yes. irrational Taika Waititi hatred. I believe after Thor Ragnarok, you said that Taika Waititi was worse than Hitler, so... <laughs> No, 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 that's an exaggeration. He's only on a par. Yeah, six nominations for Jojo Rabbit might mean Ian is in with a couple of points, Mm -hmm. maybe. Mm. Yeah, it's got some nominations in the act. Scarlett? If Scarlett Johansson wins for Marriage Story, Ian does not get Jojo Rabbit points because she's also nominated for that. Yes, it has to be for the film. Okay. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? I have. What did you think? Uh, well, I think I'll recommend it at some point, so that gives you some clue. Mm-hmm. You swine. Because <laughs> you're the only one of us, I think, that's seen mm-hmm. it. Have you seen I've it, seen it. Well, Dan, Dan, do you want to do a brief <laughs> what you thought of it? I really like Jojo Rabbit. I didn't think it was on a part with Taika Waititi's favourite films that I've seen of his, but I did find it very enjoyable, humorous in the right places, moving in the right places, with some really good performances and excellent costumes. So you're hoping it wins a couple then? Uh, I wouldn't mind if it won a couple, but I don't think it's in with a Best Picture chance I, I'm in not the sure slightest. It's, yeah, I'm not sure it's kind of Oscar bait mm. no. in, in any way. So when you say excellent costumes? Uh, yeah. Scarlett Johansson's character in particular, the way she's dressed, she's just this vibrant, positive energy in the film, which it really needs because of the surroundings of mm-hmm. it. And... She is dressed quite differently to everybody else. There's a lot of military uniforms, as you'd expect, in Germany in the Second World War. And she stands out from that. And it's the costume work that helps, along with her performance, to do that. So I wouldn't mind it winning the costume Oscar just for Mm. that effect. Mm -hmm. John, pick a name from the name hat. I have Hazel. Oh, That's you. That's you, Hazel. And for you, I am going to give you the gift of... Ford v. Ferrari, Ford v. Ferrari, Ford v. Ferrari. Please don't joke, please don't joke. 1917. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> so Hazel's won. <laughs> yeah, very probably. I think 1917 is the is dark horse that's going to come and win a lot, I think. I, I think it's fairly obvious Oscar. I don't know. Well, I think for the, for the last six months, people have been talking about the Irishman and Joker and Marriage Story, and I don't think anybody really talks about 1917 until a month or so ago. Until I'd seen it. Yeah, yeah that, it feels like it's come from nowhere. And obviously now everyone's talking about it. Yeah, and but, rightly so. It yeah. is absolutely sublime. It mm-hmm. really is an yeah. amazing film. Certainly, I would compare it to Dunkirk mm-hmm. in that watching it on the biggest screen you can, 
just envelops you in it that much more. It is not a film you could watch on your phone on the bus. No, it mm. truly shows off the power of cinema. We, we just kind of both came out and just like, I need to kind of hold on to a handrail here because we were just so immersed in it. And it was just wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful, yeah. wonderful in autumn. And mm. it needs to not have interruptions. You have to watch it all the way through and just give it fair attention. And yeah, it's, it's powerful. Is that nominated for any acting Oscars, or is it just no, that? no, yeah. no? Which it, um, there's the 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 two central performances are, uh-huh. are amazing, um, not just from a physical perspective, but you sort of see on their faces every moment of it. It's, I'm, I'm surprised, but they're not they're not big names, and yeah. um, there's a certain cynicism I have about these these awards where they want the big actors to come to their award ceremony, so they yeah. nominate them, and you know. I read a little piece on Twitter recently, which was actually in reference to Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Joker, and it holds true for quite a lot of recent Oscar winners in that the best acting prizes are actually for the most acting. Mm. Yes. <laughs> which we is talking why about quite that often act, if you're disabled act, or have a mental it's problem. It's very much, look how much I'm acting. Mm. Mm. And something, and the two guys in 1917 are pretty understated compared to that sort of there's a lot going on which hopefully we'll talk about in the future yeah but it's not showy right peter please choose a name and the name on the door is dan that's me what have we got for dan for dan we have once upon a time in hollywood Ooh, Ooh, 10 nominations yes wow and possibly in with a shout for a couple brad pitt was a front runner until relatively recently. I think probably until the Irishman swept in and Pesci'd and Pacino'd its mm. way into the category. Brad Pitt's won a couple of awards. He's won the Golden Globe and the SAG Award. Yeah, and he's never won an Oscar. Nope. Which Street, normally is a good sign that someone Nominated might. once for 12 Monkeys, I think, but apart from that, nothing. Mm, I think it's Joe Pesky's to lose Best Supporting Actor, mm. but Pitt is probably the second favourite for it. Tarantino normally does well in screenplay. Categories, mm-hmm. so he could be in with a shot. Has he ever won Best Director? He's been nominated a few times, but I don't think he's ever won a Best Director Oscar. Mm. No, just so, well at Sundance, I think, but maybe not the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. this could be his year penultimate film, or are they saving it for his last film? It's not his last film. <laughs> um, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood very recently. Thoroughly underwhelmed, unfortunately. Uh, I think it's probably the kind of film that you do need to see in a cinema because I would. Got a bit bored. Yeah, I can mm. understand that. Mm. Uh, I wasn't, but I think the cinema environment helped with that. Mm. I've only watched the Kill Bill films on a TV, and those are the two that I would put right at the bottom of my Tarantino list. But there are lots of people who love them, mm-hmm. who probably saw them at the cinema, and that probably helped. Yeah. Was it uncomfortable watching Kill Bill on a TV? Because I'd normally use a seat. <laughs> <sighs> Silence. So much harder with these flat screen TVs. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, pick a name. The next name is oh, Chris Hemsworth. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Have you told Chris that he's a nominator? He's, he's part of this game. Yeah, no, I'll open the boot later oh, okay. and uh, let him know. I, I know I was supposed to feed him this week, Hazel. I think I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Hemsworth is going to get Parasite. Oh, mm. uh, have I never seen Parasite? No. I don't think it's out here yet. It's not. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've mm. heard lots of very, very good glowing things, but I also know nothing about it, and I'm trying to keep it that way. Yeah, I know the director did a film called The Host about 10 years back, which I really, really liked, which was a Korean horror movie. And he did Snowpiercer as well, which I thought was great. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. I think it comes out on the 7th of February, so mm-hmm. a couple of days before the Oscars. Can anyone give us a, just a paragraph pricey? As much as I know, it's about a quite well-off family in Seoul in South Korea and a family who are considerably less well-off. Who become involved in their lives almost like parasites. The son first gets a job in the wealthy family's home as an English tutor, and then seeing his success, the rest of them um, do similar things, and, and they all end up working for this wealthy family. And they have plans and machinations, and um, I think it's going to get a bit sinister and dark. Mm, okay. Right. 
Next name I will I will pull out. It's Andy. Yay. Yay. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy, your film is going to be Le Mans 66. Ford v Ferrari. Yes. As it is known in the Oscars. Sorry about that mm. because it's, I think, has it got two nominations or just the best picture and nothing else? Yeah, does James Mangold have a direct? No. no, he doesn't, does he? No. no. Has anyone seen it? Nope. 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 I, re- I wanted to, and it's got great reviews. Just, um, just didn't. Best James, Man- James Mangold is Logan and things like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From what I've seen of it, it's, I'm not going to be rushing to watch it. Christian Bale is normally nominated. He's normally up for something, but no, didn't see mm. anything in his performance what, this year. Why do we have a title change? Is it because for, is it something to do with Ford Copyright. And Copyright in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was probably because they underestimated American audiences and suggested that they wouldn't know what Le Mans meant, whereas in Europe, people are more familiar yeah. with the race. Mm-hmm. That's certainly quite possible. Mm, yeah. Probably a bit of both, but it, uh, James Mangold definitely said there was copyright issues over right. here. Because you can't put a brand name in yeah. the film title. Yeah. yeah. What about Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? Well, you can with permission. Oh, okay, and they didn't give permission. No. Yeah, that was the one that, when the nominees were announced, took me by surprise. I'm sure yeah. it's a very good film, but had the best picture list been eight and it wasn't on it, I don't think anybody would have felt any differently. The list isn't fixed at 10, though, is it? No. It's how many nominations come in and it's mm-hmm. the sort of clear winners that yeah. they end up, which yeah. is somewhere between sort of, say, six and 10, yeah. isn't it? So there's nine this year, is that right? Yes. And this is what's caused a lot of, say, snubs in best director categories, mm-hmm. is that if you've got nine best picture nominees and you've got five best directing nominees, four of your best pictures mustn't have had the best direction. Mm. And therefore, how could they be the best picture? Because they were directed by women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is it right there are no female nominees this year? Definitely not. So who are the five Mm. best director nominees? Because Greta Gerwig not being on there just seems There's uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes for 1917. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, an up-and-comer. Uh, and Todd Phillips for Joker, which uh, would have been the one I'd have kicked off for Greta Gerwig, to be honest. So Todd Phillips yeah. is on there and Greta Gerwig isn't? Yes. Okay. I'd have given him the Oscar for old school, incidentally. Yes, yeah, so this thing about like ingrained sexism and racism and stuff, people say, well, I just look at the best films and I don't care who directs it. I think Stephen King, I think, said that. But... There's got to be something wrong when Greta Gerwig isn't nominated and Todd Phillips is. In terms of directing, what she did with Little Women is objectively more impressive than Mm. Mm -hmm. what Todd Phillips did with Joker. Cinematography for Joker I thought was impressive. The music I thought was very good. There was nothing standout about how it was directed. Mm. Whereas Mm -hmm. with Little Women, it just sucked you in and made you care and the direction felt like a huge part of that, the way it was made. That would have been my swap out. Right, let's go around again. Oh, it's another one. John. Who? (laughs) Some guy. (laughs) Just some guy. And John's film is... Please don't be Joker. Joker. Oh, for fuck's sake. I hate that. Wah, 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 wah. Man, and now I'm... If I now haven't had that little rant 30 seconds ago win this competition because Todd Phillips gets Best Director. That's, <laughs> that's going to be irony. Yeah. 11 nominations, probably mm. going to win several. I'm not sure. I think Joaquin Phoenix, he's going to win. He's going to win, yeah. yeah. But most acting. Most acting. <laughs> uh, Adam Driver does a lot of acting as well, but uh, I think Joaquin Phoenix does the most acting. So we talked about Joker a, a lot. A lot, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore, mm. but... I hope I don't win this competition. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh, come on, Nick. Nick's not nominated this year. Uh, There's a surprise. And Nicolas Cage has little women. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage has little women is um, also... <laughs> That's coming out in 2022, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'm now imagining which part Nick Cage would have played in Little Women. All of them. <laughs> I was just going to make him Beth. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Some horrible Eddie Murphy style thing with mm-hmm. the same actor playing all the roles. Yeah. Um, Little Women should have been nominated more than it was. I loved it 
when mm-hmm. we went to see it. But I'm really glad that both Sasha Ronan and Florence Pugh have been nominated mm-hmm. in the acting categories. Sasha Ronan particularly, she's 25 and this is her fourth mm. nomination at the Oscars, which just makes me feel useless. Like, what have I done with my life? Mm. She's had four Oscar <laughs> nominations and she's 25. Um, I hope she wins. Edgar Wright directed Space when he was 24, I discovered this mm-hmm. week, and that annoyed me. Mm. I do. I love Little Women. I've, I love the novel. I love the 94 version with um, Susan Sarandon uh, mm-hmm. and... Um, Christine Bale and Winona Ryder? Winona Ryder, yes, yeah. I just, I think this is the best version it's ever been on the screen. I, I was just in love with the whole thing. Mm. It's a shame <laughs> Louise isn't with us today. Well, she is, because she's just left some snacks outside the door, apparently. <laughs> But uh, Louise went to see it and she absolutely loved it. And yeah. again, it's a story that she's grown up with and she yeah. really related to as a kid. But it's a contemporary t- retelling, I would mm-hmm. say. The rearranging of the chronology was not contentious, but there are some people who didn't like it. What Greta Gerwig did is started with the characters grown up and then flashed back to them as little women and saw them growing up which had a marked effect on how people perceive Florence Pugh's character, mm-hmm. Amy, mm. who everybody, as I understand, has always hated. Yeah. Uh, but people don't anymore. And they've been able to redeem that character who's been uh, put down for 150 years. When I heard there was another version of Little Women, my first thing was, we don't need to see this story again. Mm-hmm. And I was completely wrong. Greta Gerwig got a writing nomination. She did, Best yeah. Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. Mm. And that is very high in points. I think you get four points if you win the uh, screenplay award. But so is Todd Phillips, so you know. Mm. Although he would insist it's not an adaptation of any existing material, so I don't know how that nomination sat with him. I just imagine Todd Phillips wrote Joker whilst watching Taxi Driver, snorting yeah. big piles of cocaine. And going, mm-hmm. That might be libelous. <laughs> <laughs> right, just got two just names possibly. in the hat. I got the label in the <laughs> And we have. Ian McLaughlin. <gasps> and he gets The Irishman. Ooh, that is what it is. Yeah, it has a, has a good chance, I think, mm. definitely. That'll win a couple. Okay. Joe, Joe Pesci's a strong candidate there. I think Joe Pesci might be the only... Yeah. yeah. I think it's probably not going to win Best Picture, despite all the nominations, because I think there'll still be this little bit of reaction to mm-hmm. it being a Netflix film. Mm-hmm. The Academy will go, well, we'll nominate it, but we can't let you win. In terms of acting, it's quite telling that Robert De Niro isn't nominated. Mm -hmm. Going back to talking about the most acting, he's very understated throughout The Irishman. There's these occasional bursts of violence from him, but he's quite calm and restrained all the way through. And it's incredibly good acting, but it's not outlandish and in your face Mm -hmm. in the same way that Al Pacino was as Jimmy Hoffa, who did get nominated. Yeah. Especially over Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I didn't like his performance in, in, mm. in Hollywood. Yeah, that was quite surprising. It was just like, he... he's just a whiny actor. Um, yeah, I, I <laughs> what just... about his character? No. <laughs> um, no, he does very good work for the rainforests. Well done, Leo. Yeah, sure. It was a very strong year for actors, though, wasn't it? So there was always some yeah. people. I thought Eddie Murphy was going to get in there for Dolomite is My Name, which I don't know if we've talked about. No, but no I, we haven't. I, I really liked. Mm-hmm. I know, Peter, you were less keen than me. Uh, yeah, I still enjoyed it, but um, my oh. my wife gave up after about 20 minutes. Mainly because it was focusing on the stand-up side of his mm-hmm. career, and the stand-up really is not funny nowadays. No, it's dated terribly. Mm-hmm. Do we think The Irishman will win Best Visual Effects? The Avengers has that tied up, doesn't it? That's the only Oscar nom that Avengers mm-hmm. got, isn't it? I was surprised mm-hmm. about that, because when you think... Um, Return of the King got so mm. many, and Endgame is that series, Return of the King. Yeah. It is probably just the superhero hang-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think Disney recognised that, and they did take it out of contention for quite a lot of things. Um, I think I've heard the point raised on another podcast that Disney owns so much of everything else, they don't need to own the Oscars <laughs> as well. Yeah, I think it's like, you're the biggest film of all time, you've got enough. <laughs> Yeah. Apparently, yeah. uh, Jimmy Cameron is going for a re-release of Avatar in the near future mm. to try and get that crown back. Well, they're going to do that anyway, presumably before the new mm. ones come out, if they ever come out. <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> right, we got one more left. Who's it going to be? I guess it's Peter. <laughs> Peter. Probably. And your film is... Mariage Story. 
Oh, okay. I haven't, I haven't I seen it. I would rather so. see Mariachi's story. <laughs> <laughs> have, you not, have you not seen this, Peter? I have not, no. Ooh. No. It's on the Netflixes. Mm. I know. I mm. just, we haven't watched it yet. I think mm. Judith possibly thinks it's a rom-com, which I know it isn't, mm. but she's allergic to rom-coms. Uh, but this was in your top three of 2019, Hazel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. I, I would encourage you to, to give it a go before the Oscars so you're rooting for something that you've seen. Okay, cool. I'll try and do that. Rightly, um, the two leading actors have been nominated. It's just a, a really... Adam Driver. John's and... shaking his head. And Scarlett Johansson. All right. <laughs> What's your thought, Ron? I watched it quite late. We only watched it a couple of weeks ago. And whether three months of everyone telling me how great it was and how much I was going to enjoy it, might have given me over expectations, perhaps, mm. but I just didn't like any either of the characters. Um, not supposed to, really. But I find it hard to get emotionally involved with two narcissistic pricks. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that's, that's <laughs> um, a little strong. <laughs> I I do have an issue with films that have no mm. characters that you can like. The, they're not hate figures, but just because they're quite shallow and self obsessed. I found it hard to get emotionally involved. And oh, when it fucking turns into a musical. <laughs> Jesus. It doesn't turn into a musical. <laughs> Are they dressed as cats? Because we could be getting confused. There, there's an Adam Driver bit towards the end that everybody raves about. That is one of the most self-indulgent bits of filmmaking and acting. Um, the film literally it disappears up its own anus in the last 20 minutes. And it's just so actively and I never believed in the characters because I was always aware I was watching acting with a capital A. I didn't believe emotionally in them. I was watching them do their actory tricks. Alan Alda's brilliant. Alan mm. Alda should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And yeah. Laura Dern is brilliant. Yeah. Did I get a nomination? Yeah, she I think did, she's yeah. the closest thing it's got mm. to a sure thing for a win. Because yeah. mm. she's never won an Oscar before, really? is that right? She's on fire at the moment, though, isn't she? Mm. She's it's having like a, a late career yeah. renaissance, which she's is She's always well been deserved. great, though. Yeah. Interesting how two people can just perceive a film completely differently because mm. I disagree with everything you just said for the last two minutes. <laughs> are, you about to, are you about to reenact that scene in Marriage Story where they shouted each other a lot that I've heard about? Calm down, Hazel. Give us a list of things you like about John. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was so Woody Allen. I, I think it's a, a beautiful story. I think Noah Baumbach wasn't nominated, but I, um, I, I loved the way that he told that story. Was so. he not nominated for a screenplay? Yes, he might be for screenplay. Was yeah. it original screenplay or best adapted from his actual oh, life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you might accumulate some points throughout the night. Maybe not mm. best picture, but um, mm. you might you might do well. You might mid mid table. Okay, cool. I'll try and watch it so I so I have something to root for. I think we were more on the same page with Joker, but it's a similar thing to I'm sat looking. I've seen a different film to everybody else. Mm. I don't mm. understand. Yeah, didn't I watched a much better film about marriage the same week called. Um, video or not which i highly recommend mm. so uh yeah i've got the day off work after the oscars gonna stay up all night um i will keep you updated and uh, how your films are progressing and in, in points mm-hmm. and uh yeah look forward to it we've now got our one ones to root for mm-hmm. i was just interested who would we all like to win best picture i would like to see 1917 win best picture and, and everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i agree i would go with 1917 I would be quite happy with Little Women winning, but I think 1917 will, and I'm very happy with that too. I would think I want Little Women to win. I'm hoping for a few surprises during the night. I remember um, we stayed up last year and Olivia Coleman's utter shock that she won. Mm-hmm. I think it was maybe Meryl Streep. Everyone was expecting her to get her 16th, and it wasn't, and she was just wonderfully human and flabbergasted and you're like, oh, Lady Gaga you know it was just wonderful so I'm hoping for a few surprises and Little Women would be an amazing surprise. Yes that's my second choice and uh, it would go some way to mitigating the, the injustice of Greta Gerwig not mm-hmm. being nominated. Yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood for me I'd, I'd be happy with that one. <laughs> yeah that'll get me points <laughs> Alright so just to confirm Dan what is your film? My film is one is it? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Uh, my film is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. John. Joker. Peter. Yeah, mine's Marriage Story. Andy. Ford versus Ferrari. Okay. And I've got 1917. Ian McLaughlin has got The Irishman. Ian Mayer has got Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Chris Hemsworth has got Parasite. And Nicolas Cage has Little Women. 
Little women. <laughs> yeah, can we take a moment just to talk about that little mini scene from National Treasure 2 where he tries various British accents <laughs> and ends up just shouting haggis in people's faces? <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. It's 20 seconds long. It's beautiful. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's better than National Treasure, the film. Mm-hmm. I can believe that. That is all we've got time for for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Do check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. If you feel inclined to do so, we would very much appreciate it if you could leave a review. And John is going to do what for you? Um, I am going to write a poem for anybody that leaves a review. I'm going to write a haiku for them based entirely on their Twitter username and picture. That's quite a nice thing for once. We will be back in two weeks' time with lots more recommendations and features. In the meantime, you've been listening to... A man who's going to suggest another Buffy rewatch. A man who will eat all of John's hats if Jojo Rabbit wins Best Picture. Someone who has lots of Oscar movies to watch. A man whose laser-powered cod pieces hide no inadequacies whatsoever. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the Podcast Slayer. We'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.